Now, I, I love the fall because uh, the weather changes. I'm not a hot weather guy at all. It's also the season of my birthday. And also now the season of my niece's birthday. So it's like party extra- extravaganza. Uh, but it's also the time of the high holy days from the biblical narrative, right? And uh, you, every fall I, I, I teach on those holidays for the most part. Sometimes I, depending on how they fall, I might leave one out. Um, but any of you who have been around for a little bit have gotten a, a good dose of uh, Rosh Hashanah or also better known in the, in the biblical scriptures as Yom Teruah, also Yom Kippur, which I'm going to be talking about today. And then, of course, another big holiday that will be coming up soon is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a very, very powerful holiday, as they all are. One of the reasons why it's so powerful is it actually says, uh, I believe in uh, Zechariah, that when the Lord returns to planet Earth, that he is going to be observing the Feast of Tabernacles and all of the nations of the Earth will come up and worship him there. And if there is a nation that does not come up to worship the Jewish king, that God the Father will withhold water and food from their nation. This is like legit stuff in the coming of the age, right? And so it's such a beautiful, beautiful holiday. There's so much going on with it. And um, I'm really happy because Eric and Eileen Stewart, if you guys could just raise your hands just in case if, if anyone doesn't know you two, have offered up their home to do a very special kind of sukkah uh, celebration. Um, it's going to be really cool. You can go. You can help partake in the decorating. There's a lot of different things which um, I'm sure they will discuss. It's time for kids to come. It's, it's laid back and casual, fun, food. Uh, there also will be... Of course, uh, dancing and worshiping and, and all the good stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to post that on our Facebook uh, family wall. But I know some of you are not on there. So if you are interested, it will be September 25th, starting at 3 o'clock. If you can um, just reach out to Eric and Eileen so they can coordinate. We're asking or they are asking that we can do a bit of a potluck kind of a thing there. It will just be a day an afternoon, evening of rejoicing and fun. So if you have never partaken in a Sukkot celebration, highly advise you do it. It's, it's a great time. Um, we're up. Yeah, so we're, we'll post information up online, and then you can reach out to the, uh, the Storches uh, either today after service or through, I guess what we were saying, Facebook uh, Messenger, right? Yeah, we usually have, try to have a tendency not to put our addresses up on on. on, on on social media, because, well, there's a lot of reasons for that, right? So we can give you more details, and Sorges can give you more details if you're interested, okay? So really uh, excited that that is happening. It's going to be awesome. So thank you, guys. Really fun. All right. And then we, we talked about, obviously, October 3rd, right? All right. All right, why don't we open up to Leviticus. Chapter 16, okay? I know I've said this before, but right, this is uh, typically a, a, portion, a, a chapter that a lot of believers don't read, but there is so much good stuff in there, especially if, if you have someone who can teach you through it. And uh, I've said this on numerous occasions, right? The, the Bible name in Hebrew is Ve'ikra, because uh, each of the Older Testament, or I should say the, the books of the Torah, um, they gain the title from the opening words, okay? So Ve'ekra means, the, is translated as the Lord has spoken, or the Lord is speaking. 
right? So any book that begins, the Lord is speaking, we should take some time to listen. Amen? All right, so today is uh, Yom Kippur's uh, message, releasing yourself from the spirit of the scapegoat. It's a continuation from last year's uh, sermon. But who on earth would remember that, right? <laughs> right, but it's, it's a continuation of that theme, all right? So uh, earlier, uh, just... Uh, earlier this week was uh, Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teruah, um, the day of shouting. It's kind of been co-opted and it's become the Jewish New Year, but really, biblically, it's a day of sounding an alarm. An alarm that in future days will be the day of atonement, which there will be the sacrifice for the sins of Israel. Okay? And in between those days are known as the days of awe. And what essentially is happening Wednesday night at sundown to Thursday, there will be, of course, the celebration by uh, Jewish people and some actually Gentile believers who, who want to partake in the understanding in the holiday of Yom Kippur, known as the Day of Atonement. Okay? There's a lot of powerful things uh, that are in there, uh, especially with our understanding that Jesus is the atoning work, right? Uh, for earth, and there's a lot of beauty in it. So let's begin, if you have your, if your word, we're going to read through a couple of uh, sections of scripture here, all in Leviticus 16, because a lot of us don't know, like, any of this, right? We don't know the background, we don't know what is this thing, Levitical law, what is this thing of sacrifices, and I, I, I'm going to tell you that we're going to use that as a springboard, so that we can better understand what those lessons are, so we can apply the New Testament understanding of these things into our lives. Right? You know, as has been said, you know, the, there, there are things in the Old Testament that are, that, that are there, but there are also things in the Old Testament that are actually in the New Testament. They're just concealed. They haven't been shown yet. With the coming of, the, of, of Jesus, those things which were concealed in the Old Testament are now revealed. Amen? And look, I'm telling you right now, and this is really kind of the point of the message, if we're only looking at the revelation and we don't take a time to take a look at how it was concealed... We don't really completely understand the depth of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm just telling you. I'm being honest with you, right? So it's kind of what we're doing here. So if you're a little lost in the beginning, don't worry. We're going to zero in on it, right? So let's go to Leviticus 16, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. When they offered profane fire before the Lord. Wow. An act of worship where you die because it was profane. Hmm. They offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Verse 5, and he, Aaron, shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. <clears throat> then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. 
And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabitable land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. And then closing up this portion, <clears throat> verse 30. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you. So on that day, that is Yom Kippur, right? On that day, the priest shall make atonement for you. To cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. <clears throat> all right, so powerful things here. On that day... Who would make atonement for the nation of Israel? The priest. Not the people. The high priest is the one who is going to be offering up the atonement, right? We have Jesus, the high priest, who has offered up an eternal atonement for us. Okay? What are you to do on that day? You are to take a Sabbath. You are not to work, and you are to afflict your soul. And really, the rendering or the understanding of the affliction of the soul is the Hebrew word sum, is to fast. So you are to fast on that day while this atonement is taking place, all right? <clears throat> now, okay, let's break it down a bit, right? This would take place once a year, and this is important here, an act to earn is an act to earn the atonement. Someone has to do something so that the nation of Israel could earn it. Right? This isn't just something that is given unto you. It's an act that is done to earn, to be willing to deserve the atonement. Something has to be done. The other powerful thing here is that it is not permanent. You have to do it every year. Now, why is this? Why this sacrifice? This is a very, very powerful scripture, which is really, I've got to be honest, is, is really the heart of the message today. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Come on. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Ready? For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Fine, but here it is, man. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Because there's life in the blood. Mm. This is a powerful, powerful revelation when witnessing to Jewish people and even to Muslim people. There is no temple anymore. There's no place to give a sacrifice. Then, therefore, there is no blood that is being given for your atonement. 
If there's no longer blood in the temple that is bringing forth atonement and earning of atonement, where is your atonement now? And usually the response will be, well, we pray. It's very interesting because the purpose of this message is that there's a lot of Christians who talk this way. There's cultural Christians that definitely talk this way, but there's confessing, believing, even spirit-filled Christians that talk this way. It may change the verbiage a little bit. Well, we pray, we worship, we do good works, we help people, we fast, we pray, we pray for others, we do all this kind of stuff. Guess what? Your atonement in a New Testament context as well can only be done through and because of the blood. It's only the blood. Now, James, of course, says, right, by faith, I, we will be able to see what kind, of, what kind of faith you have by the works that you do, but let us not get confused, people. There needs to be, in my opinion, I believe the Lord is saying this prophetically. It's not so much prophetically, it's written. There needs to be, once again, the exaltation of the blood of Jesus in our lives and in our churches. It's great to pray. We will pray. It is great to worship. It is important to worship. It is a biblical mandate to worship. But I'm telling you, if anything, prayer, worship, counseling, teaching, if any of it does not always, always, always point us back to the blood, there's a major problem. Now, here is the thing. Why is it, in my humble opinion, that over time, it's very strange, over time, the church of all people have kind of distanced themselves from the blood? One, it's messy, isn't it? But I believe there's more to it. There's power in the blood, and the blood shows a level of accountability. We don't get this if you don't read Leviticus. There are things that are concealed that were supposed to have been revealed. Some of you have not gotten the revelation. In the Old Testament context, there is a priest who is doing it. There is an earning of it. And you do not earn your salvation. I know, you do not earn your salvation by good works. We know that to be true. But there is an element there that we need to understand that there still remains for the believer a spiritual responsibility to look at the blood, to take on the blood in their lives, and to exalt the blood. And if we're not doing that, we're going to have a certain type of believer, which I think in some ways has become quite prevalent in the modern church. And we'll get to what that type of believer is in a moment. So why going back? Why stop? Why stop and say, Dave, you know, these are these Old Testament things. You know, we're underneath the New Testament, blah, 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 blah. How come we are covering it? There's lots of reasons for it. But the reason this year is this. We as believers need to understand the process of our theology. We need to understand the process of the rationale for the blood. Jesus, God could have just been like, I forgive all of you. Right? But he didn't. Because there's life in the blood. 
There needs to be blood for the atonement of sins. So you recognize a responsibility. If God just gave forgiveness for everyone outside of the blood, we wouldn't quite understand the profound nature of what it means to actually sin. I've said this before from the pulpit. Uh, I, 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 I used to be a butcher. I was working on a farm, and I had to kill a lamb. And it was one of the most spiritual moments of my life. To take a look at an animal, obviously we're not underneath the sacrificial system anymore, but when I take a look at that animal, and because I'm a believer, I remember the sacrificial system, I take a look, and I'm killing this lamb, and I'm seeing life leave it. Why? Because you have sinned. The profound nature of sin, it's not just, let's just forgive, it's there is a penalty of sin. You need to understand, even in a New Testament context, there's a penalty of our sin. It's that the pure, precious blood of Jesus had to be spilled. And I believe, if we understand that process, it sobers us up. It sobers us up to understand the gravity of us continuing Continuing living in sin. If there's just grace and just grace and just grace, who cares? Keep sinning. But understanding the process of the blood, that there's life in the blood, and only because of the blood you can have atonement for your sins, it should awaken you. How can I keep sinning? But here's the thing. The Western church generally does not like process. We like results. This is where we get into the vernacular and the teaching of, oh, it's okay, brother, you've sinned, and there is forgiveness of sin. Oh, who cares about the process? The result is I have grace, and I can, I, I, I'm loved, awesome, powerful. We just want the effect. We don't want the causes. It's called cheap grace. Not knowing the process of the blood will now not allow you. I'm telling you right now, by not understanding that there is life in the blood, there needs to be blood for the atonement of sin and the gravity of that situation, and the reality of that situation. If we don't understand that process, we will never be able to sustain the results of what the blood of Jesus is in fact here to do. It's just grace. It's just forgiveness. No, it's not. It's the blood of the living God. Understand that process. Step into that understanding. You're not going to get that if you don't read Leviticus. So let's take a look at here the process of the Old Testament sacrificial system here on Yom Kippur, which is going to allow us, I hope, to really understand the full picture of the process and the effects and the results of the blood. And hopefully in our lives, lift up the blood of Jesus again. Come on, nothing, nothing, nothing can take away my sins, not the forgiveness. It's nothing but the blood. The blood brings the forgiveness, not the forgiveness. The blood brings the forgiveness. There's nothing. Even forgiveness and grace is nothing. It cannot exist without the blood. Too many Christians are all grace, grace, forgiveness, forgiveness. They forget the blood which allowed it to happen. Oh, pure, precious blood of Jesus. Hmm. How did it go down? We just read a whole bunch of scriptures, right? Let's, let's get it. There's actually three sacrifices that are taking place during this event of Yom Kippur. 
is the sacrifice of a bull. The bull is to be sacrificed to purify the sins of the high priest. You see, if the high priest is not pure, the sacrifice would become profane. Wouldn't work. Mm. The high priest needs to be pure and spotless. Jesus is pure and spotless. You don't get any more pure, any more spotless than that. But there is a sanctity that needs to be there, right, for the priest. And now you get these two goats, right? The one goat is to be sacrificed to atone for sins, okay? This is where I'm, I'm hoping you guys can dial in and grab this. I know some of this is meaty for some of us. Some of this is theological. But this is the things that Paul was saying, I, I can only teach you the milk of the word, right? These are the deeper things, okay? There, there's, there's a powerful thing that's happening here. One goat is to be sacrificed for the atonement of the sins. The other goat, is to, we, the priest would cast the sins upon the goat, and then the goat would be banished to the wilderness. So there's actually two, three sacrifices, but two pertaining to the people. One slit its throat, burn up the sacrifice, there's for the atonement of sins. The other goat, we are going to, the high priest is going to lay his hands on the goat and cast all the sins onto the people. And then the goat gets to go now, be banished into the wilderness. This is where we actually get the phrase in English, scapegoat. Making someone or something the scapegoat, that's where it comes from. It's known as the scapegoat. In Hebrew, it's known as azazel. Cast the sins on the goat, make it the scapegoat, and it goes forth. Okay? <clears throat> now, by not understanding all these processes that are going on, <clears throat> which we're going to unpack a bit, there's a couple things that happen. And I see it in a lot of modern churches. First one, by not understanding the power and the process of the blood from the sacrificial system, the price of what the blood of Jesus really is, Life being in the blood, if we don't have the blood, we just move into a place of understanding of cheap grace. So, number one, not understanding this process that we're talking about right here produces in a church and in an individual the notion of cheap grace. But here's the thing. Cheap grace, which is grace without the understanding of the, of the blood and the sacrifice that was made, is antagonistic. Listen to this. A grace without the blood and an understanding of the blood is in fact antagonistic to the power and the significance of Jesus' atonement. We live lives of just forgiveness. We live lives of just grace. We forget the power of the blood and the holiness of the blood. The holiness and the purity of the blood of Jesus. And so it's antagonistic. And as I said before, we do not just have forgiveness, people. We don't have forgiveness just because of grace. You have forgiveness because of the blood. And so we need to understand the blood. Come on, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. This is all of chapter 6 of Corinthians is Paul talking to Corinth talking about all their sexual immorality, all their idolatry, all the things that they are doing. And I imagine, because we can see it today, and we can see it 
with other epistles that Paul is writing, that essentially what's happening here, it appears to be that the church of Corinth is like, we got it, we got forgiveness, we got grace, so we can continue and be sexually immoral. We can be idolatrous. We can lie. We can be greedy. We can do all this because of grace. So Paul, all throughout chapter 6 specifically, and he does it before as well, he's talking about all of this crazy stuff. There's arguments amongst two. You guys have gone so far as to sue one another. There's all this sexual immorality. There's all this stuff that's going on. Probably because you think you were just forgiven and there's just grace. You have no understanding of the power and the beauty and the holiness of the blood. So he gets here to 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For you were bought Church of Corinth, Church of America, Church of the Earth, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, the blood of Jesus bought you. Didn't just save you. It just saved you, and that's all you understand, cheap grace. But if you understand that he purchased you, by the currency of heaven, the blood of Jesus. Then therefore, your life is not yours anymore. It's not yours anymore. I know it's probably the least American thing you can say. Your body, your mind, your spirit, your soul is not yours. You no longer have sovereignty over it. It is not yours, not because of grace and forgiveness. You can do whatever the heck you want. Because you have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb of God. When we understand that we've been purchased and we're now a bond servant of Christ, not just his son, not just his daughter, but a slave unto him because he bought me, not with grace, but he bought me with his blood. I can no longer do what I want to do. I am not mine anymore. I am his. And whatever you say about me doesn't mean anything anymore because I am not my own. I am his. You see how this works? I should no longer be compelled to continue to live in sin and live in drama and live in a toxic nature of life because my life is not mine. I am his. It's the blood. Not just the grace. Grace without blood is bleh. Blood, blood, blood. Life is in the blood. There must be the atonement that is found in the blood. And that's why Jesus had to come. That's why God couldn't just say, poof all forgiven because if it was poof, you're all forgiven you would have a church on earth through the ages that was living a life of idolatry of sin and just be like but he already did it but coming with blood the blood should bind you to the altar the blood is supposed to be binding us to that altar my life is not my own But at some point, generally speaking, obviously there's always a remnant. But generally speaking, we've lost this. Next page. <clears throat> Number one, as I was saying, by not understanding the process of the power of the blood, what it does here is it brings a false theology of cheap grace. Okay? 
There is grace, guys. There is grace. There's, there is grace. You will and are forgiven. 100%. But what's going to allow you to really step into the restoration and the sanctification of Christ? Knowing his blood. Number two. <clears throat> By not understanding the paradigm which I just laid out, which is essentially this. Blood has purchased you. You're now a slave. Everyone's a slave to something. It's impossible to be free, people. It's impossible to be free. Live free or die? Yes, die so that you can be free. That's the only way. If you are not a slave to money, then you'll be a slave to lust. If you're not a slave to being lustful, you'll be a slave to your own ego. If you're not a slave to your own ego, you'll be a slave to this. So it's a lot easier if you just say, okay, if mankind has to be a slave to something, I want to be a slave unto Jesus. That is the notion, right? I've set you free so that you could be free. Free to choose. Free to choose to say, I adopt the chains of love of Jesus. You got to adopt them. You got to bring them on, right? Amen? So, right. If we don't understand the paradigm of the blood has purchased you, which has made you a slave, it's going to do something. <clears throat> okay? Look, man, I had a crazy week. I had to really go to the Lord and be like, Lord, I don't know what to preach on. And so I, I, this, I really believe that this right here, you know, hopefully it is every week, but this week especially, I mean, this, this is one of the ones like, Holy Spirit, come. You need to write this one for me, okay? So. Cheap grace, if you don't understand the power of the blood. Another thing is, if we don't understand the, the process, blood makes you, the blood has purchased you. Because it has purchased you, you are now a slave. This is another thing that happens. The other thing that happens is we create a bride of Messiah that is completely narcissistic. I believe, largely speaking, a spirit of narcissism has fallen on the bride. It's so subtle, but it's also so overt. And we just adopt it because there's no teaching of blood. What's God going to do for me? God wants to lift me up into these positions, in this position of authority. He wants me to do this. He wants me to do this. He wants me to do that. Where's the blood? Paul the Apostle, I rejoice that I'm in jail because the blood is being testified to people who would never hear it. Anyone have a desire for that? Strip everything away from me so I can be on the unemployment line so I can share the gospel of Jesus. Everyone wants to be on like the, you know, the multi-millionaires so you can influence all the big influence. Where, where's the heart of, no, 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 no. Bring me anywhere and bring me to anything that is going to allow the blood of Jesus to rejoice out to the people like Paul the apostle. Oh, I glory. I glory that I'm in a jail cell. I'm glory that I'm here because Jesus Christ is being preached to Roman centurions and to fellow prisoners. Woo! I'm telling you, worship movement, pastors, ministries, your homes, teachings, lessons, books, there is a spirit of narcissism that's fallen on the church. Well, here is the definition of narcissism. Or actually, narcissistic personality disorder. 
It is one of several types of personality disorders. It is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration. It produces troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others. I'll read this again. It's one of several personality disorders, a mental condition, or in this case, a spiritual mental condition, in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance. Now, are you important before the Lord? Of course. I'm his favorite, and so are you in his eyes, right? We're all extremely important to the Lord, but that's not what's going on here, right? It's like, all attention on me, right? A deep need for excessive attention and admiration. Oh, you're so great. You're so this. You're so that. I can't hurt your feelings because then you're going to fall apart. Troubled relationships and a lack of empathy. Narcissism. What we got here is this. Narcissism like this, and the spirit of narcissism that maybe is beginning to fall or has fallen on some churches or whatever, creates this kind of victim mentality. It's not my fault. Blame other people. Blame God. Blame the pastor. Blame your spouse. Blame your friend. Blame this. Blame that. You're blaming everyone for what's happening in your life. But what I'm, what I'm here to try to tell you is that if you come in contact, not just with Christ, a lot of people who are born again who just came in contact with Christ. You need to come in contact with Christ and also his blood. Let me break it down. You come in contact with Christ, forgiveness, wholeness, I'm a son and daughter, beautiful things. But it can very quickly produce a spirit of narcissism. It's all about me. Very sensitive. Got to walk on eggshells with everyone because it's all about you and well. No, no, no. You come in contact with the blood. My life is not my own. I am nothing without him. He is everything. I am less. He is more. It's because of the blood. It's when you fall before his feet. You fall down before him and say, Lord, it's all. I just want to cast another crown at your feet. Right? I heard one pastor preach this way. I think it was Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He says, he says, uh, he says, too many people are trying to ca cash their spiritual checks on earth. So you, you save your checks, your spiritual checks. You cash them in heaven. And he gives you that money, gives you that crown, you give it right back to him, right on his feet. Right? I believe in the church, we just simply, we need to understand and value the blood again. You see, the blood is going to set you free. Grace without blood will give you an excuse to keep on sinning. It's going to, Jesus without the understanding of the blood is going to be a lullaby that's going to sing you asleep. It will give you an excuse to just be a victim. It will be an excuse for you to continually to live your life the way that you've always been living it, without any restoration, reconciliation, or sanctification, or transformation. Jesus, his grace, his forgiveness, with the understanding of the power of the blood of the Day of Atonement, and what it really means here, is going to set you free. It's going to set you free from sin, and it's going to set you free from yourself. Come on, you and I have been purchased. 
And now we get to become a slave unto Christ. It is no longer about me. It's no longer about my church. It's no longer about the worship team. It's no longer about this teaching. It's about the blood of Jesus that will set you free. Not to keep on sinning. To set you free so you are finally transformed into the image of the Son. Catch me here. Middle class church people, you know what I'm saying, man. It is Lord is going to save you and he's going to do good things for you or it's okay, sister, it's okay, brother. You will continue to struggle in these things. No, the blood of Jesus has purchased you. You are no longer an old creation. You are dead. You have now been resurrected in Christ. But there's forgiveness. It's going to be okay. I can continue doing this. Yes, you can. And you will go to heaven. You will. But man, the time is done for that. The whole earth is waiting for the sons and daughters of God who recognize the blood and are transformed into blood to be made manifest on earth. You ain't going to get it if you don't understand the power and the process and the revelation of the Yom Kippur sacrifice, the Day of Atonement. There is life in the blood, and it's only blood that has made atonement for you, to change you, to restore you into the image of the Son. Amen? Come on. If you have the worship team, come on down. So if we're still ain't getting it, here we go. There's some options here. You got three animals. You got the bull, which is offered up for the sins of the high priest. <clears throat> but now we have these two goats. One goat is to be sacrificed for the atonement for the sins of a nation and for a person and a people. The second goat. We cast the sin, we cast it onto the second goat known as Azazel or known as the scapegoat, and it's thrown into the wilderness. Scapegoat, scapegoat, scapegoat. Uh, I believe that in our lives, largely speaking, we have inadvertently made the focus the scapegoat. Now catch this. There are two goats. There's two, not one, two. One, atonement for sin, so your sin is gone, gone. And the other, eh, it's a scapegoat. Put the sins on this animal, and it'll be sent out. I feel that, largely speaking, that there has been this inadvertent focus on our theology and our spiritual charismania where we put so much focus on the scapegoat. Now, what do I mean by that? I can do what I do and live a carnal life and I make someone or something the scapegoat. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay that I still have these thoughts. It's okay that I still have a carnal nature. It's not my fault. It's because I'm a man. I'm a woman. I, it's because of this that happened to me, right? It's because of this. We place the blame on the scapegoat. We focus on the second goat, and we forget about the first goat. Your sins are gone because of the blood. Scapegoat's not killed. It's a blame, and it's sent into the wilderness. But the first goat is a blood, and there is a forgiveness and eradication of sin in your life. 
But in the church, we put so much emphasis on this scapegoat mentality. It's time to restore the first goat. The one who bore the atoning sacrifice because of blood, because there's life in the blood. And the ultimate source of life, Jesus came down and gave himself not as a temporary sacrifice, but a permanent sacrifice. And if we understand the process of the blood, it's not just a forgiveness of sins. It's the ability to be transformed into the image of Christ. If we, if we as sole individuals with free choice and free will to choose righteousness or to choose sin, if we take ourselves out of the equation, it's not a good thing. If we take ourselves out of the equation of blood, purchased, slave, if you take yourself out, then what happens here is we have a church that no longer feels any sense of individual responsibility. Come on, this is the way of our culture now. No responsibility, no individual responsibility. I am this way because I was born this way. I am this way because I just am struggling with these things. Scapegoat. It's not my fault. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we get the truth. And the truth shall what? <clears throat> Therefore, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Those of us who think, I got it, I'm good. Whoa. Take heed lest you fall. For no, listen to this. For those of you who just kicked the buck on the scapegoat, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not, listen to this, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Any sin, anything, anything, take heed. When the sin comes, the thought comes, the righteousness of wanting to be right, the biting back, the yelling, whatever it is in your life, take heed lest you fall. No temptation is coming to you that no other man or woman has dealt with. But God, through the blood, has offered you a way of escape. And the way of escape is taking on the understanding of the pure power and precious nature of the fountain of the blood of the Lamb of God. Where it is no longer my life. It has been purchased. Do what you want unto me. I am a lamb who opens not his mouth anymore. No temptation. But there's really hard temptations. You understand? Paul wasn't alive in the 21st century. No temptation. No temptation. The Christ has offered you a way of escape. And it is this. It's not just grace. And it's not just forgiveness of sins. It is, I need to understand the power of the blood of Jesus. James 4, 7. 
just in case you don't believe therefore submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands come on there is a formula submit your life to God the blood of Jesus I am now a slave unto you I'm submitting I'm resisting the devil and now the devil has to go so if we take ourselves out of the equation of the understanding of being purchased we take ourselves out of the equation what we're going to do here is we're going to begin to place all of the junk that we're going through in our life and we will place it upon another person you will make someone else a scapegoat because god knows it can't be you you're gonna place it on someone else that's because you're focusing on the scapegoat you're not focusing on the other goat the blood here's the thing I'm telling you right now either you're going to make everyone else the scapegoat or you say there's just cheap grace or whatever I'm just gonna keep living that way I'm telling you what is this this is the spirit of narcissism couldn't be me I couldn't be doing this it's not my fault I should be admired I should be lifted up I'm so important I'm this I'm that blah 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 could never be me spirit of narcissism or one of the most tricky ones you yourself you yourself willingly make yourself the scapegoat for someone else I'll fix him I'll pray him into the kingdom I'll just be a little nicer I'll counsel him I'll do this I'll do that I'll do all this kind of stuff look there is a truth to that to some level but what will it produce if you make yourself the scapegoat and they keep coming to you and they're not coming to Jesus and the power of the blood what you have just done is just entered into a toxic relationship I'm fired up, man. I had to physically escort someone out of the church this morning. Because they are refusing to come to Jesus. And they've become toxic and dangerous to the people that are here. Verbally and the beginnings of being physical. You can't allow the toxic relationship to gain hold. People need to see Jesus. They need to see the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9. And don't worry, we, we got the police involved. The police understood because this is not the first rodeo for this person. They've seen them in town doing similar things. But I thought it was something important for you to know and be aware of. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Let's begin there. So powerful. 9, 28, we'll go into 10, and then we'll go into worship. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Let's get this rocking and rolling here. Come on, I want Jesus, I want the Holy Spirit to release a revelation of the power of the blood of Jesus for your life. Amen? Come on, we're living in days where we no longer can be narcissists. <laughs> Come on, with the hands and feet of Jesus. Like him, he's poured out as a drink offering. So I'll have time for us to be poured out. All right, chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 28. So Christ was offered once 
You see the connection to Yom Kippur. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin, but for salvation. 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer and offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more conscientiousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Amen? Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Right? This, this is the temple is still standing at this point. But these sacrifices which can never take away sins... But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, come on. Sit. It's time to get a little holy boldness. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let's consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching shall i shall i keep going for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Come on, there is grace. Amen? There is forgiveness of sins. Amen? He has come with a spirit of freedom. Amen? He has come with a spirit of reconciliation. But I'm telling you, you're not going to see the real, full working of grace in your life. I'm telling you right now, you will not see the true, full reconciliation of Christ in your life. You will not see the true freedom of Christ in your life until you acknowledge and step into where the life is. The blood of Jesus. Amen? Come on. Let's worship. Jesus, let's worship His blood.
We're going to have the altar team come on down. So I want to offer, I want to make an offer to you. If you feel that you've lived a Christian life that has been absorbed with an egocentric concept where we have excused sin, where we've made the matter all about me and what God has given unto me, and if you can say, Lord, I just need a new revelation, a new revelation of the power and the purity of the blood of Jesus. It's time to come down and get set free from spiritual narcissism right now in the house of the Lord. Come on. Some of this stuff in some weird way is not your fault. It's been taught. It's been taught to you. Come on. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. I don't want to be just forgiven. I want to be forgiven and sanctified and transformed. Come on. If that's you out there, I'm just going to invite you to come on down. Let's just, we're going to pray for you for revelation, the expression of the power, purity, that there must be blood for the atonement of sin. Have a wonderful week. This is Wednesday into Thursday. I'm telling you right now, spiritual heavenlies are opened up. Step into, step into, step into the understanding of the blood. Come on, worship team, let's kill it. Let's plow. Can't wash away my sin.